0: This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Yeah, we're good? Okay, so good evening, everybody. So this is our first year back from Pesach, vacation, and we're going to try to stay consistent over here. We do have some um, new shurim that we're going to be rolling out soon, so stay tuned to nasanow.com and you'll stay informed. Um, especially those of you who are transitioning from single to married life. Hopefully, we're going to do some things to target the married uh, female audience. Some people were reaching out. They were like, why is it that when I get married, all of a sudden, there's nothing for me? So we're going to try to target that, Amir Tzashem, in the next few weeks. Stay tuned for some updates over there. So tonight's year, as uh, probably everything that we do going forward, um, is going to be Lili Nishmas, Rabbi Wallerstein, who... You know his Patira and his levaya was a couple of days ago. It's very hard for us to sort of process that, but I oftentimes find in in general in life, like almost like the dafyami, um, sometimes like whatever's going on in dafyami actually coincides with like what's going on in the world. So where we are holding in our Midos series is the seventh of the uh, thirteen Midos that a person has, and I think that this. Idea of this concept that we're going to discuss tonight, it like basically epitomizes a lot who Rabbi Wallerstein was and what he lived for. And um, I'll introduce the idea, we'll talk about it a little bit, and then I'd like to just share with you some thoughts, if I may, about Rabbi Wallerstein himself, because, you know, sometimes there's like abstract ideas, and sometimes those ideas, you see them in a person, you're able to like learn from who that person was. And I think that there's no greater aliyah to somebody's neshama, not just learning um, in their schus, but also learning from them who they were and how they lived. And if we could maybe take one or, one or two of these ideas and sort of run with that, I think that uh, it really would be tremendously impactful. Um, before I even begin, I have to tell you that there's um, a safer called Kav HaYashar. Some of you may have heard of it, some of you may have not. Some of you may, Maybe you heard of this through Rabbi Wallerstein. He talked often about this safer called Kav HaYashar. Um, it's a mystical safer, very fascinating safer that goes through a lot of deep, 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 you know, ideas, many of them based on Kabbalah and Rabbi Wallaceen picked this up many years ago and actually transformed who he was. Um, and he used to teach from the safer a lot and they started now a group where men are able to join and learn one parak of Kava It's like 102 Kav, right? 102 Prakim. And each person takes one parak and they learn it. But somebody, when they filled up, like in a few minutes, somebody said, let's do Kav hayasher, Kav times, 102 times Kav hayasher. So they're in the middle of now getting all the people to sign up for h- however many Prakim that they're going to be doing to learn 102, 102 times. And a lot of, you know, very big Tzadikim used to learn Kavayasha 102 times because it like sort of impacted their Neshama. So something as simple as everyone in giving a shir, honest, certain safer, need, you know, which is an impactful, safer for him. Um, People learning in his class is amazing. But I'm I'm hoping that not just learning in his class, but also transforming who we are, learning from that, could also be very, you know, effective as well. So tonight's topic is the concept of tzedek. And tzedek, the the basic understanding of tzedek is righteousness. So there's a midah that a person has to be righteous. And a person might think that the idea of righteousness is that you know, you live in a basement and, you know, you, you meditate a lot and you talk to Hashem. But the way that the Sefer, Chajben Nefesh, which is what we've been learning all these, you know, months, defines the concept of tzedek is, is, is completely different than that. Is that what tzedek is, is that a person, and we know this, I mean, this is olive phase. is that a person is comprised of a guf and a neshama. And the guf, the nefesh habahami, the, the natural instinct of a person, is created to be egocentric. It revolves around their life. That's how every single person is created. Now, why is that? Why is a person created egocentric, like everything's about them? The answer is, is because if a person was born completely selfless and they didn't think about themselves at all, they, they wouldn't look out for their own well-being. So as, as a matter of like importance, because survival, if a person is not surviving, then it just doesn't work. Hashem created a person with a, an animalistic drive to eat and to sleep, to look out for yourself. And that's, how, that's just how we live. We exist. A person doesn't just like walk off a cliff. A person like has like stranger danger. A person, person is born with natural instincts which are there to preserve their life. And that's the nefesh every single animal in this world has it, from a goat to a bird to everything, to a human. Every person has that. On the flip side, our neshama's, our teva of our neshama is the complete opposite, is that our neshama is a chilek aleikamimau. It's a piece from Hashem. And a piece of Hashem means that it is Hashem. It's like an apple is an apple tree. You can't plant an apple tree and get an orange. It just doesn't exist. So what is our neshama? It's a chilek aleikamimau. It's a piece from Hashem. So what is Hashem? So we know that Hashem is kal He doesn't need anything. So why did Hashem create the world? Ah, Ritzaynei lehetiv. He wanted to give, to be made to give to other people. Which means that the essence of who we are, which we don't really tap into enough, is the idea that what we want, our innermost drive, is actually to give to somebody else. But it's coupled in this guf, in this body, that wants absolutely nothing to do with anybody else, and it only wants self, self-preservation. And that balance is why we live our lives very much looking out for ourselves and forgetting about the rest of the world, or looking out for the rest of the world and forgetting about ourselves. But a person who has a healthy balance between looking out for ourselves and looking out for others is a person who is able to preserve himself, look out for himself first, and then of course the things around him that he needs, his family, his sleep, his food, whatever, and then to look out for other people and to do for them selflessly without expecting anything in return. That is the balance. And a person who does that, they have epitomized the Midah of Tzedek. We know it's also like these days, right? Amr Rabbi Akiva Rabbi Kiva says, Zekal what's the biggest rule in the Torah? Vi Hafta l'reyacha kameicha. You should love your neighbor like you love yourself. Why? Why is the hafta la so important? Because there's 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 a series over here. The ahafta you have to love your friend, which is your neshama, which wants to love other people. Kameicha, the same way that you love yourself, which you have to love yourself. It's your tava to love yourself. It's your tava to be doing everything for yourself, for your own preservation. V'yahavta l'reacha kameicha. When you have that balance, you figured it out. That's all you need to know. We don't think about it like that. But the balance of the entire Taira, everything that we learn is to preserve yourself, live your life for yourself, and by giving other people. V'yahavta you love other people, that's your neshama. Kamaycha, like your, your goof, just like your body, just like you, you eat today. That is the Kala of That is the epitome of Torah. That is tzedek. Righteousness is a person who lives his life with himself first, self-preservation, in order, if we may say, to live their lives for somebody else. If you ask me, there was nobody, very few people who lived their lives for somebody else like Rabbi Zechariah Wallace. This was the complete essence of who he was. You know, I was talking to him and I want to share with you tonight about five or six, maybe just stories about just the, who he was and things that he shared with me, you know, throughout the years that it really just like, I can't explain it, like it epitomized, you know, how he lived his life and the direction that he gave to so many of those who, who, who were around him. Many years ago, I have to tell you, I started teaching in his seminaries and I was there for a number of years. And it it was very rare that he would like, you know, I think it's very rare for many institutions, but not for him. He would consistently sit down with his teachers and he would like give direction. Like this is our mindset for like from now for the next, you know, six months. Like this is what we have to instill in our students for now for the next six months. He was very focused on like giving direction. Not just to the students, but also to the teachers, so that there was like a complete, like, like from top down, there was everybody was on the same page with how they did things. So, one of the things that Rabbi Wallenstein used to say, because I used to sit with him with so many people who were struggling in various forms, many times till two, three, four o'clock in the morning, we'd be up. The Arnava Shabbaton, if anybody's ever been on that, there was like absolutely no sleep whatsoever. Right, like your brain cells are off. It's five o'clock in the morning, you can't even think straight. Right and and I would sit with him and I would say to him like Rabbi like what are, what are we doing here like like this is crazy we're not eating we're not sleeping we're, we're this is crazy and he would say look around this hotel how many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of girls are here so yeah it's true he would say do you understand that when your sister has a question when your daughter has a question you don't sleep because they're bothered by something. That was, that was the essence of who he was. It was, I am living my life for these other people, no matter who they are, no matter where they come from, no matter the tattoos, the piercings, didn't matter to him, any of that stuff. He saw right through it. He would say, I never, like this person is suffering. They're going through something now. It's so hard. That was the essence of who he was. And if they were in pain, then that was, he had to address that. It didn't make a difference, like that he didn't sleep or that he didn't eat. And then he would take some time for himself and his family. And then he would write, go right back into whatever it was that he was dealing with. I was looking through my texts with him today. I was just scrolling through like my text messages. He didn't have WhatsApp because he had a dumb phone. <laughs> but, but, you know, we tried to convince him to get a smartphone and to have WhatsApp. But he, he, didn't, he didn't bite. He wasn't interested. <laughs> but he, he, he would text. And I was going through all my texts with him. And essentially, this is, this is the nature of almost every single one of his texts. ruvain call me ASAP. Ruvain, emergency! Call me right now. Ruvain, pick up the phone. I need to speak to you. Emergency! Like literally every single one of them. Or it was it was Ruvain. How's the Hasidish couple from Williamsburg? Ruvain, how's this? You know, girl that I sent you last week. Ruvain, how's this and this guy? Every single text. There was almost nothing there that was about him or anything like that. It was just solely fixated on other people who he remembered years later. Many people he met with them one time. He would get into whatever they needed. He would refer them to whoever they needed to go to. He referred to himself as an emergency room doctor. He said, some people, they have doctors and you go to the doctor all the time. Doctor knows who you are. He said, me, I'm an emergency room doctor. Emergency room doctor deals with a person, does what they need to do and refers them to somebody else. He doesn't, didn't sit and counsel people on and on. But so many times I would sit with him and he would say, how's that couple? I'd be like, what couple? He's like, yeah, the one I sent you. I'm like, which one did you send me? He's like, yeah like in 2016 i sent you this call <laughs> are you serious like seven years ago like you sent me a couple like you're asking about them yeah yeah are you keeping up with them like what's going on with them and you know how they're doing his entire being was other people there was nothing there that was about him that was his entire life because he viewed and he said this straight out i heard these words from him. he said every nishama is important he didn't view people as people he viewed them as nishamas. Every neshama is important. And if this neshama has a question, if this neshama needs something, then that's what it is. Remember once he told me he was completely exhausted. He didn't tell me the story, but he told me that he was with a girl who needed to be transported emergency on on an ambulance. And he was up the whole night and he was being transported from one place to the other. Didn't get into any details with what the story was. So I saw him. He looked very tired. He always looked very tired. And I said, like, wow, Rabbi, you really look like you haven't slept in a long time. So he said, yeah, last night I was, uh, you know, I was on an ambulance with a girl. He, he told me you know, like basic story. You didn't get into any details. So I said, wow. So he says, do you realize what a schuss it is to, to, to have been on that ambulance? So I said, why? So he says, I'll tell you why. He said, because in Shemayim, there was a gezera that Rabbi Wallerstein needs to be on an ambulance at three o'clock in the morning with lights and sirens flying to the hospital. He says, so it was a schuss that I was able to be there for somebody else. And that was how I fulfilled me being on an ambulance at 3 o'clock in the morning. He looked at it as his chus. I would look at it like, you're keeping me up. He he, he viewed every person as it has nothing to do with him. And I heard him say, um, he said it when I interviewed him on Torah Anytime. He said, when a neshama is in pain, when someone else is in pain, the only thing you have to do is get out of the way. This has nothing to do with you. The only question is, what can you do for somebody else? This is not about you. This is about them. And your entire decision-making has to be, what do they need? Whatever they need for me, I have to be ready to give up for myself just for them. Because a neshama is in pain, it has nothing to do with me. You need to do one thing, get out of the way. But you're working for the king. You're working for Hashem. It's his daughters. So when you're working for his daughters, you have siyata Dishmaya. And, and, and he puts the words into your mouth and he gives you the kaikas and he gives you the energy that you need. And it was something that he constantly said. I would say to him after a speech, wow, that was like such a powerful, amazing speech. To me, I didn't give the speech. I just got up there. I opened my mouth and like the words just came forth. Like Hashem put the words into my mouth because this is what these girls needed to hear. Everything to him was about the recipient, everything. There was nothing about him. I remember we were once sitting on a panel together in a program, and um, we were sitting, and there was somebody on the panel that Rabbi Wallerstein didn't see eye to eye with him. They started; people started asking questions, and this person, every answer, Rabbi Wallerstein, you could see he was he was fidgeting, he was he was getting very agitated. It's not recorded; it was like on a, it was on a yontef. He he was. Visibly agitated by this person's answers. And I would give my answer, and Rabbi Wallerstein would give his answer, and this person would give his answer. And every time this person opened their mouth to talk, Rabbi Wallerstein just, he, he couldn't, like he was getting agitated. Finally, after like the third or fourth question and answer that was given, Rabbi Wallerstein, very uncharacteristically, because he would, he usually wouldn't give musr, he would, you know, give over messages or ideas. And like, it was very uncharacteristic, but he, he, he like stood up and he said, I, I have to say, and he went on to say about this person who was sitting right there, he says, I completely disagree with every single thing that's coming out of your mouth. I wouldn't trust anything that you say. I wouldn't send anybody to you for anything, let alone marriage, which is pikoach nafash." And I'm really sorry that I have to say this, but I have to say this. I don't trust you. And then he sat down. The tension in the room, you could cut it with a knife. It was for sure over a thousand people there. I was I was so, I, I couldn't even, I was like, wow. Rabbi Wallerstein, it's so not his type of thing to do. Later, I went over, I said, <laughs> Rabbi Wallerstein, that was super uncomfortable. You know, <laughs> like sitting in a room where you're like, wow. Like I, I was like, I... I was so uncomfortable. So he said, Ruben, why are we sitting on a panel? We're here for ourselves. He said, do you understand that a thousand people that are being fed something that I don't agree with? We're not here for us. Yes. It was uncomfortable for me too. We're here for those thousand people and for them to hear something and not know that that is not MS, that that is not how you build a marriage, that that's not how you live your life. I can't sit still because This is for them. He said, This was I was the most uncomfortable person in the room. He's not a hothead, he's not somebody screaming. Every single decision that he made, everyone, had to do with somebody else. There was there was nothing about him in that thing. Am I gonna be embarrassed? How are people gonna gonna hear it? Are they gonna are they gonna come after me? None of that mattered. The only thing that mattered was that the people who are sitting across from me, are they getting my message? Like is it coming across. In a way that they understand. Do I have to take a position or a stance on something? He always said, he always said, I don't work for anybody. I work for the boss. If, if, if what I'm saying, I believe this is what the boss wants people to hear, that's it. I work for Hashem. Hashem is the only person that I, that I work for. And that's, that's how I'm going to live my life. You know, when, he, when I met him and I told him that I was an accountant, he was so excited. He said, oh, I love that. I said, why do you love that? It takes away from other things that I could be doing in my life. He said, no, it's not true. Because you're an accountant, you're financially independent. He says, you could could be like me. Like, you could say whatever you need to say. Don't worry about anybody else. I like that about you. He was so excited. And he told me how he lived his life. He said, I had my business. And therefore, I was able to do whatever I wanted to do. I could say whatever I wanted to say, as long as I'm answerable to the one above. But I have to make sure that I have that. So how do I do that? I have a Rebbe. I have a Rav. He always, always, always asked Shilohs. Always. There were times that I would tell him certain things. And he would, I would say, like, Rabbi Wasson, you need to do X, Y, or Z, or I think you should run this thing. Okay, I have to ask Ashaila. Like, everything was Ashayla. There was no no, nothing without Ashaila, Rabbi Gamliel, or or or, or whoever it was. Always. I have to ask Ashayla, because that's how we live our lives. Everything is with Ashila. As long as he knew that he was working for the boss, that was the most important thing. I once called him up, and I um, told him, I said, I have a crazy idea, which seems to be a common theme <laughs> but i told him i said i have a crazy idea i said there's you know a lot of girls in flatbush when we lived in flatbush who are you know they're living in basement apartments or what have you and shabbos for them is very is very boring they don't have a lot going on in shabbos many of them struggle they struggle with Shmir shabbos they it's very hard shabbos is very challenging for them and um i think it would be very nice if Arnava started a program where they invited girls to stay with, you know, to to have Shabbos with families. Um, It will be hosted, it'll be catered, you'll have waiters, like it'll be like a nice Shabbos, you know, something that we can that we can do. The idea really came from the Arnava Shabbaton, which was, you know, once a year event. So I told him it's very nice once a year, but there's 51 other Shabbos during the year. So what does it help you if you only do it once, you have to do it more than once. This was right before COVID. So he said, Okay, so tell me where I'm eating. Okay, so tell me where I'm eating Friday night. So he said, yeah, he's not going to tell you to do an idea and then have somebody else do that idea. If it's an idea that's actually worthwhile, so tell me where I'm eating this Friday night. So he came Friday night with his wife and he came in and he sat down and I remember he ran late. And the reason he ran late was because he had to go and wait for his wife, if you remember, right? He ran late. And I honestly thought that either he forgot about it, (laughs) which, which, you know, because he was so busy, I thought for sure he forgot about it or whatever or something happened maybe there was an emergency and he just couldn't make it so we were waiting for like half hour or so I'm a little bit of a yucky so like I was like checking my watch the whole time and then after like a half hour I was like okay Rabbi Wallerstein clearly not coming so I made Kiddush for everybody and the second I finished making kiddish, he walked in the door and I was like oh my goodness like this is the Arnav Shabbos and he shows up Rabbi Wallerstein and I just made Kiddush I ran over I was so embarrassed and he's like me like I'm not the consideration here. The girls needed to hear kiddush. You made kiddush. Nothing was about him. He was completely in touch with, with his neshama, which is a chelik elikam imal, and the only thing it wants to do is to be native is to give to somebody else. That is how you live your life. Um, I think you know he had many, many, um, many things that he would say, many, um, many lessons that he that he would teach, and I, I just heard him say over one of them, which I thought was extremely profound and it was really again the essence of like really who he was he said that he once asked a group of girls he said what what would you say if i told you that Gan Eden was full Kahanim is also full everything is full it's all full whatever you do here makes no difference there's no Mashiach. there's no Olam Haba it's nothing just live here you die and you just become dust like what do you what, what, would, what would you say and he said I'll tell you about me he said my Olam Haba my Gan Eden is this world. Me sitting on the back of an ambulance, me sitting up with somebody until three o'clock in the morning is so meaningful. I, I feel my neshama alive. I feel like I'm living a meaningful life. I wouldn't change anything about my life. I don't need the world to come, which believe me, you hopefully will have binoculars to be able to see the guy with the binoculars who's looking at him. You know what I mean? Like What he accomplished was unbelievable. I don't need the world to come To make me know that I'm living the right life. Because I feel it in this world. I'm not living for Oylem Haba. I'm living in Oylem Haze. I'm living Oylem Haba in this world. I'm living a meaningful, purposeful life. That was, you know, who he was. So, the bottom line is, is that he was somebody that a lot of people said he was just a regular, normal guy. He wasn't. He really wasn't. He had, um, he wasn't, he, maybe he grew up like a normal guy. You know, he used to say that when he was younger, his Rebbe took him around from classroom to classroom, telling everybody that this this kid is going to be like a sewer rat, like he's not going to amount to anything. Like he didn't grow up, you know, as an Eloy, as a genius, as anything special, but he did have, he did have Amida. And I think that this is the key for all of us, is that when we think of greatness, we oftentimes think of like, you know, Rechaim Knievsky and, and the Stipler and, at least for me as a man, you know, like you think of people who like are very, very learned or Rebbe Tzimbat Davan, Kanievsky, Yerayichi, Daven, Shachas, of Nila. Like you, you think of people who were just so great and they were always davening and they were so connected. And that's, that's for sure, for sure. But there's 13 midos of connecting Tasham. There's 13, not just one. It's not just about Dvekas and it's not just about it. part of it, one of them. Like This is the essence of the Torah. You live for somebody else. You don't live for yourself. And in that sense, there were very, very, very few people who lived with the level of avas reyem, of, of loving somebody else like Rabbi Wallerstein did. Very few people. That was the, almost the essence of who he was. You ask anybody who was Rabbi Wallerstein, it was somebody who always answered the call. He answered call after call after call, no matter what the call, no matter how crazy it was. Like there were times I would say to him, like, rabbit, well, is him dealing with the craziest thing? And he would say, yeah, yeah. You know, and he, he became my address. When I needed somebody, I would call him up and say, I have an emergency thing. I need somebody. He would, no problem. Call this Rav, call this Paisic, call this psychiatrist, call this, he knew he was dialed into every single person on the top, like in his mind, because he lived for other people. And in that sense, he was, a gadol of all gadolim, because he had a midah. And the mida was, if somebody else is in pain, it has nothing to do with me. And I think that the lesson of his life and something that we could all take into our own lives is that we think that greatness is about seclusion or we think that greatness is about, you know, things that we see outside of other people. But in a certain sense, it's about what we have inside of us the media that we have inside of us. And I want to just read for you here just an interesting thing that I think is a real connection is that he says, that Rabbi Akiva says, the Ahaftah Lerecha Kamaycha is Kla Galdaba Taira. If you summarize the whole Taira, it comes down to the Ahaftah Lerecha Kamaycha, right? I want to read this to you in Hebrew. But Amr Rabbi Seinuzel, the Chachamim said, kula. that this is the Yusait of the entire Taira is the Ahaftah Lerecha Kamaycha. Like we know when the guy came to Hillel and he said to Hillel, he said, I want to be Megayer on one foot, right? And Hillel said to him, right? What you don't want done to yourself, don't do to other people, which was the essence. It's the flip side of the Ahafter Rechel The means love somebody, and this means don't do something to somebody that you don't want for yourself. But the essence is you live with somebody else in mind. But listen to this. In another place it says, came along, the Hamidan al and he said that there's something else. And what is that thing? Shanema vitzadik, the emunasay yichya, that a lives with true emunah, meaning to say as follows that the essence of life is dveikos and Hashem. What is Hashem? He lives for other. And I, I think that these two are so interconnected because when you live for others, you tap in, like we said, the chelik ali the part of you, which is a spark of Hashem, which connects to other people. So by connecting to other people, you're going to connect to your davening, your learning, a sheer Hashem, you connect. It's not different. It's via hafta, reicha, kamaicha and the amunasa ha'yichya. Rabbi Wallacein was known, was known for his davening. You ever watched him in shul? He would walk over to the to the pareiches and he would sit there kissing the pareiches and he would talk to Hashem like, like a son talks to his father, like, Tati, I'm here for a bracha. Like, I talk to you. Here's my problems. Here's my issues. Here's this girl that's suffering his entire life. And there's this beautiful, beautiful balance between living for somebody else, where you then start to connect to other people around you. And then it also, and this is a concept which is talked about in the Chida, it also then makes your your emuna strong. It makes your davening strong. It makes your entire life strong. And when you do that, you work for the boss. I'm going to end just with one very, very, very quick story that a few years ago, there was, I don't want to get into a lot of details here, but there was I don't want to get into any details there, <laughs> but basically there was um, there was something that I was really pushing Rabbi Wallace to do, um, and he 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 was like, it, "It can't, it's it's not possible." And he was telling me like all the reasons why it couldn't happen, and he was right. It logically, it could not happen. There was a lot of obstacles that were standing in the way of this happening. Anyways, um, I was pushing him a lot. I said, "No, I really believe that this is something that's important," and he was like, "Okay, I believe in it. Also, I just I'm not really sure." Um, and then he said to me, okay, fine. I'm willing to get behind this. Like, I think that this is something that's very important. And hopefully, Imrits Hashem, it will happen. He's like, but I'm just telling you right now, <laughs> excuse me, that Al-Pi Dara Khatava, is absolutely no way that this is going to happen. Just, it's just not going to happen. And then through a series of very, very strange events, um, whatever it was, I can't talk about it, but all the obstacles slowly got removed. And then whatever it was that we wanted to accomplish was able to accomplish. And I was talking to him. After this thing, and he came over to me and he said, We work for the boss. Like we we put ourselves in a position that, like basically saying to Hashem, look, we're here for your children. And because we're here for your children, we work for you. All these obstacles are all man-made obstacles. You are the boss, you're the king of all kings. You can do anything in the world that you want to do. If you want this to happen, now it's up to you, right? We open Piskain Shamachat. We open a small little hole. And now it's up to you to open everything up. And like you just watched as like everything, like all the obstacles just like went away and everything came together. And it was like a nice, it was just like really unbelievable. And that's that. i lived an incredible life. To say that he was a tzaddik is an understatement. But the, the, the concept of tikkus of righteousness, is not somebody who lives on a hill and not somebody who lives in a basement. It's somebody who lives for others. And when you live for others, you partner with Hashem, you tap into your neshama, feel great about yourself, you have Olam Haza, you have Olam Haba. There's nothing greater than that. You're able to tap into that. So I think as a skhus for his and Shama and for ourselves, really, um, you know, he is gone, but his legacy and who he was and what he taught us, what he taught us, very simple. He taught us just to live for somebody else. And one thing that he would always say is, how do you know how you're supposed to live for somebody else? He would say, find the void and fill it. You fill the void. Whatever it is that you find is lacking in Qadish you be the solution to those problems. And if you do that, then you'll see at see the Dishmaya. Because Neshama should have an Aliyah, and we should all have an Nechama. feels like a lot of us are in velas, which is extremely, extremely um, difficult and heavy. But at the same time, what he lived for and who he was um, will always be a beacon. So we have to live by that example. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.